0: What? go oh well, live in my soul. Spring up, oh well, and make me whole. Spring up, oh
1: in the same key. Let's sing that song, Jesus be the Lord of all, as uh, we sing that right before we take our needs before the Lord.
0: Oh now Jesus be the Lord.
1: Remember uh, Brother Troy and Sister Connie who are not with us today. They uh, have a cold, so we just want to remember them. Also, Brother Peter Coffey who is also not with us, dealing with the same thing. So, if we could just remember him, Uh, we also just want to remember the drums who are not with us. They're not feeling well, so if we could just remember them. Also, I have here that uh, Jonathan Walters and the family are not feeling well, so if we could just uh, keep them in prayer. Um, We also have a few people who are just not able to be with us today, whether it just be traveling or work. Um, The Pascals are not here, and uh, Danny and Hans, Florian, are not able to be with us. And also the Whitlocks had to go back home last night uh, for Brother David to work, so uh, we just want to remember them. Um, I also have here to uh, remember uh, Jane and Earl Munch, who are not feeling well today, so they're not able to be with us. And uh, also, uh, just remember the pews in prayer. And uh, Sister Jessica and Autumn are not feeling well today. So if we could just remember them in prayer. And I know we all have unspoken prayer requests uh, just by the lifting of our hands. This time of year, it seems to uh, always get very busy and very stressful. But uh, we have a place that we can go to to just lay our needs down and uh, just to relieve our stress. So if you would just uh, stand with me. if I could have Brother Aaron come and uh, pray over these prayer requests
2: shall we pray dear Heavenly Father come before your throne this morning Lord Jesus Christ we know that your word says you are the ancient of days Daniel said I saw thrones and they were cast down I saw thrones and they were cast down but the ancient of dead, dead, uh, days did sit, and unto him was ki- uh, given a kingdom that is forever and ever. Lord Jesus Christ, situations come and situations go, but you are still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the judge of all the earth, Lord. And we bring this request before your throne, Lord, and Father, for a verdict. But we know, Father, if you were standing here, you said, I paid for this. Two thousand years ago. If you were here, Lord Jesus Christ, as you were as you were manifested in these last days in the ministry of our prophet, Father, you had the same attitude. You'd say, What can I do for you? Your faith has made you whole. Father, we lay hands on this prayer request and many of your children that are lifting up their hands. We are a needy people, Father. We are living in a time, Father, of great need. But you said in the evening time it shall be light. And the path of glory you said we shall surely find. Father away there is darkness and gross darkness upon the earth but yet you said shalom to the bride. The light has come. We thank you for this light that we have. Bless the service. Bless all oh God the preaching of the word. We commit everything into your hands. Those father that are sick, we pronounce them healed in the name of Jesus. Those that have got burdens, we, we, we pronounce them father that they are well in the name of Jesus because there is no other name given among men that we, we can be saved with except the name of Jesus. For we know that by the name of Jesus, Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess, every disease, whether it's COVID, whether it's cancer, whether it's HIV and AIDS, anything that can be named is under the name of Jesus. We proclaim liberty by the power that is in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the blood, for the cross that not only covers, but washes and looses us from every grip of sin. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.
1: Think you may have your seats. We do have one special. Um, let's go ahead and sing that song my door. I sang it last weekend, but I wanted to sing it as a congregational. You stepped down from heaven and
0: humbly you came, and God of all creation here with us. Star in Manger
3: hear that i cry
1: hey man if you would just stand and the ushers come at this time Amen. Brother Tom, if you would just pray over the offering. Amen. Amen. Let's put it in the key of F as Brother Barry comes this morning. Let's just sing that song, Let Your
0: Word Be Born. So let Your Word be born. In the manger of my heart
4: at your prayer this morning. Let your word
5: the lord and everybody would love to have that happen say amen this morning you may be seated musicians if you'll hang on for a second here we'll sing one more little chorus and then we'll pray if you would bring that up this morning uh, first first thing there god bless you all we greet you in the name of the lord jesus it's certainly an honor to be with you this morning it was an honor to be with you last night and uh we uh enjoyed our time together always do and uh I think we're one of the most Eatonist churches in the message. I want to bring just a couple of prayer requests uh, this morning and an announcement nobody wants to hear, and um, just so we can pray about some things here. We are um, remembering Brother uh, David Woodlock, the family, is not here today, and... um, Brother David's sister-in-law had an emergency surgery, uh, colon surgery and so forth on Thursday. It was an emergency situation. She has complications as a result of that, and there's leakage there, so they probably will have to go back in again. David wrote me this morning and asked me if we could remember uh, her in prayer. As well, Brother and Sister Smith wrote me uh, this morning and they were very excited to be at the event last night and they uh, enjoyed themselves immensely. Uh, Brother Smith's daughter, her name is Paula Brotherton. Uh, she is sick and uh, she asked if uh, Brother Smith asked if we could remember her, especially in prayer uh, today. We um, also as well are... Uh, morning with Brother Steve Propolis, the loss of his wife Karen. Uh, we had mentioned her name before. She passed away with complications from cancer. Um, we were just, if possible, we were trying to find a way to get to the funeral. Tomorrow it's at 1 o'clock or 11 o'clock. Uh, and uh, I told Brother Steve that we would sure be praying for him and for his family. We'd known them from way back. And uh, they're very good people. Uh, certainly true believers in the message, and uh, we certainly mourn her loss. Tomorrow, uh, Brother Emanuel has to have surgery, right? Tomorrow. And uh, it's a hernia surgery, and uh, I, uh, it rings a bell for me when somebody has to have that kind of surgery because I remember one of our boys had to have surgery at 18 months old. And... Uh, they, the doctors warned us warned him said you got to lay still you got to be you know you got to be careful you don't want to reopen that you know you know you got to be real still yeah right to an 18 year old boy right and uh, so we were doing everything you know taking all the precautions and brought him home after the surgery it was it was successful and brought him home and uh told him you know all right you know stay still be still. Don't jump around. Don't do anything like you normally do. Just be different. And uh, the next morning, we thought, well, hey, we got this under control. The next morning, we woke up to him jumping on our bed. He was straddling me in the bed, and he was jumping up and down like this, and, and uh, still alive. So, <laughs> but don't jump up and down in your parents' bed if you don't mind, Emmanuel. We will be praying for you, and uh, just trust that the Lord will bring you through with complete recovery from that, and uh, enjoy the stillness, enjoy the quiet time, and I don't know who we should pray for more, Emmanuel or his family that have got to live with him staying still. The thing that I mentioned that nobody wants to hear is that we are in the process of making a decision about whether we are going to have the Winter Youth Retreat, and uh, it is a concern uh, because um, the, the health conditions that exist uh, today and we don't want it, to, it's, it's really kind of a catch-22. Man, am I getting the looks here. <laughs> Whoa. Um, we are not canceling it as of yet. We are certainly praying and asking you to pray and asking these parents to pray because we don't want to be the sponsor of a super spreader event Um, but we don't want to not have it either because there's a a lot of good that is done and so uh, we're in the process of making a decision but Brother Paul and I both were announcing that this morning because we wanted you to be aware uh, that we're uh, taking everything into consideration and we're consulting with the facility up there and uh, with people who are knowledgeable in the field and just trying to be led of God to do the very best thing we can uh, because we want to make it a positive, positive thing. Sorry. So you all pray for me for having made that announcement. Especially the first-timers. They're kind of touchy, you know. All right, let's move on. Birthdays and anniversaries. Ben McCafferty's birthday, the 21st, Right? Ben, we appreciate you very much, and may God bless you. We, uh, uh, we consider you just a real cornerstone in HBT, and we're glad that you're with us, and may God bless your day. Lucas Walters also uh, has a birthday on the same day. <clears throat> December 23rd, Henry Coffey has a birthday. Henry, how old are you going to be on your birthday? Eight years old. God bless you. Best eight years of his life. The Knoblochs have an anniversary on the 24th. And uh, we appreciate the Knoblox very much. Good to have them with us today. may God bless you. How many years? 34 years, really. Wonderful. That's that's wonderful. That's a real milestone. And Hope Pritchard has a birthday as well. How old is Hope going to be on her birthday? Doesn't want to say. Four years old. God bless Hope. Emma McCafferty has a birthday as well. Emma, why don't you stand up and tell us how old you're going to be on your birthday. Come on. Eight Eight years old. God bless you. Appreciate Emma. Brother John Harwell has a birthday. John, why don't you stand up? No. (laughs) How many would like to have John stand up and tell us how old he's going to be? Should I not have said that? (laughs) Jeff Jackson has a birthday, right? Right? Why don't we have them both stand up and tell how old they are? God bless you, Jeff and John. We appreciate you both very much. And the Swaffords also have an anniversary on the, on the 31st. May God bless you. All right, moving on. Uh, I just received this. This just came on my phone uh, just before I came out here this morning. And this is uh, Arusha, Tanzania. And Brother Elias sent me this picture. A Truck rolled in right after church today and had all of these new books, these sermons. Their individual sermons, the Revelation of the Seven Seals, the Revelation of Jesus Christ, Volume One and Volume Two, uh, have arrived there, and they're they're just excited. Uh, they're, those, by the way, those boxes on top of his head—that's about eighty pounds worth of books there. So, got to appreciate their zeal uh, in doing that, and it reflects in the face of this brother right here and unloading things. And so, they have now just a real nice uh, grouping of books and Bibles. We bought uh, lots and lots of Bibles for folks in that part of the world and uh, just uh, uh, empowering now these uh, evangelists to go around the country there and and uh, get these materials into the hands of believers. And so a new convert now has lots of material to be able to uh, work with and, and uh, grow from. So that's, that's a first, and it's really revolutionizing things. Uh, in that part of the world. Let's stand to our feet this morning, and uh, <clears throat> we're going to have prayer for uh, these needs here, <clears throat> and I'd like to welcome again uh, Brother Colton, Sister Hannah from Florida, good to have you with us today, and uh, all of you that are here, uh, we don't know how he got here, but Gideon's good to have you here and uh, today, and each and every one of you, may God bless you, and uh, how many of you are ready for the word today all right let 's let 's uh speak to him first, heavenly Father, as we come into your presence lord and we thank you, Lord, for what you do and what you provide. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you 've made a way for us to be here and and Lord, to speak to your people. We know, Lord, that you have many, many things to say to us Lord in an effort to build rapturing faith in our hearts and Lord we want to respond correctly we want to believe correctly we want to know exactly what your will is for us in this hour that we live Father have your way we pray we just want to say that we love you and thank you for all you do and Lord we know that you have the cares of your people upon your heart we pray for Brother Steve Propolis today and ask Lord that you would minister to him and to Give him comfort, Lord, in the time of this loss. And for the other uh, situations, Lord, that we uh, have mentioned today and Mitchell has mentioned, we commit them all in your hands, Lord, believing that you are a God who taught us to cast our cares upon you. And Lord, in this situation with the Winter Youth Retreat, Lord, we know that many, many people are affected by this decision the coming from all over the country. And we commit that to you now and ask that you would give us wisdom and direction to know exactly what we should do. And, Father, we just pray that you would guide us in your perfect will, and we'll trust in that and believe in that. And so we ask, Lord, that you would bless those decisions, those needs, and, Lord, have your way among us today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask and pray. Amen and amen. While you're standing, let's take your Bibles, if you will. Thank you, musicians. That'll be just fine. And uh, let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to ask you... In reading this, not to put your Bible away, we're going to need it for a couple of places today that we're going to refer to, and I'm going to ask you to do that in your own Bible today. Luke, the second chapter, let's read beginning at verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. peace, goodwill toward men. May God, at his blessing, you may be seated tonight, today. Now, I'm going to ask you just to lock in with me here today, and uh, we have this one service, and I'm going to ask you to just Stay with me here and <clears throat> follow as we look in the scriptures at some things that are now becoming a little bit more uh, more obvious to me, and I trust that they will be to you as well. For 4,000 years, the expectation of God's people was that there would be a Messiah. It's hard to believe that when this Messiah actually came, so many people were unaware. So many people were completely out of the loop. There were so many people who should have known who never had any idea who Jesus actually was. The Bible says that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. So it's not like God did it at a distance. God did it right in their midst. God fulfilled everything he said he was going to fulfill. The problem was is that over the years... They had reinterpreted, they had restated, they had re, uh, reiterated in their own way the this, this story and what it actually meant and how God was going to do it. They were in a position of assuming that God was going to listen to their thoughts and fulfilling his own prophecies. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing that uh, over that 4,000 years, so many people could have missed the mark. But you know what's true is that God's word didn't change. God said what he meant. He meant what he said. And he did exactly what he said he was going to do. And that's always true about God. That's something you can take to the bank. That's something that's actually, uh, uh, you know, a sure thing in the eyes of God that uh, God's going to do things according to his own word. He's not obligated uh, to do things according to your uh, innermost feelings. God is not at all obligated to bow to your will. God is not at all concerned about what everybody else is doing. God is never pressured by peer pressure. God is never swayed by the public opinion. God does not know where Gallup actually is. Gallup polls. So therefore, God operates in a sense in his own own realm, his own sphere. And I think it's an incredibly... Uh, you know, powerful thing Uh, God would actually invite you to look into that sphere, to enter into that realm of his thinking that you might know exactly what the mind of God is. That's an incredible thing. Let me say it again. God operates in his own sphere. He has, God understands and knows all things, right? But because God knows it doesn't mean that everybody else knows it. There are some people that are absolutely intent on doing everything contrary to God's will and God's way. They don't care about God's way. They don't care about God's will. They don't care about the Bible, right? The world is filled with people like that. I think it's an incredibly powerful thing that God would actually choose a person like you or me and invite us or draw us into his presence that we might know the same thing God knows. Think about that now for a moment. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm intending this morning to be brief and concise here, so follow me as we look at this. Most of the people today in the world follow God like this. They have an illusion. They have an understanding of their own making or the making of some other man about where they're going, about what's going on around them. And a lot of them follow God in a fog. We follow God, rather, in a transition. We follow God in transition. We believe we're going somewhere. We're not walking in a fog like the rest of the world. And I'm not being critical here. I'm just saying that uh, that that there's a lot of people who are probing and wondering where all of this is going to come out, how all of this is going to come out. And they, they really have no definitive idea. And so there's a lot of people making the best of it. <laughs> Imagine, they're making the best of it. As I read to you before a quotation by one of the uh, current leaders in the uh, evangelical movement, He he asked the question publicly, he said, now where do we go from here? He was asking that question to his congregation, where do we go from here? Imagine living in a day, imagine if you had to leave church today and ask the same question, now where do we go from here? I thank God that we don't have to ask that question. I thank God that we know exactly where we're going. I thank God that we know exactly where we are. I thank God that God provided a light in the last day to guide his people by. Brother Branham describes it this way. He says, don't you know, this is in the rapture sermon, he says, don't you know that nations are breaking, Israel's in her homeland, and these signs are indicating that we're at the end. The same time it's blacking out, he said, don't you know that that's a sign that the prophet said, but there shall be light about the evening time. Glory to God. At the same time there would be darkness, there would be a light provided in the last day. Somebody say amen. He said that light would be provided that there will be a light come forth in the evening time that we would, that we would know where we're going. So it's not wandering around in the fog somewhere. It is rather uh, having a definitive purpose. It, it is rather us knowing exactly where God would have us to go. We are pointed in the right direction. I believe we're heading to the right place at the right time. I believe we're believing the right message. Is that Okay. And all of this that goes on in our lives is really preparation for that moment in time when we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. So it's not following God in a transition. It's not, or sorry, in, in, a, in a fog or, a, you know, a dismal view. It is rather following God uh, in a, uh, a very strategic time that God placed between the Jews and the Gentiles and, and was ready to turn things over to the Gentile, uh, or sorry, ready to turn things over to the Jews. And God is preparing and gathering the last of the Gentiles uh, into his bosom and then be able to, uh, you know, uh, attend the marriage supper of the Lamb and, and uh, take our place there in glory. I, I think it's an exciting proposal. May God help us to have, uh, you know, the the little faith that we have, the mustard seed size faith in, that we have in our hearts to grow and become great trees that are immovable. I, I saw it the other day, I was... Um, I think I told Brother Keith about it, but I was, I was driving somewhere and uh, saw... The, I was actually going home from church on a Wednesday night. And uh, it started to rain and I saw it, uh, this had just happened. And I, I, I came behind it and passed by. And as I looked over, because I saw the flashing lights and I looked over, and here was a, a tractor trailer that was completely wrapped around this tree. This, tree had, this uh, tra- tractor trailer had hit that tree full on. Uh, gone off the side of the road and and i mean that tree was back in the uh back part of that cab of that truck and it's just you know an image like that doesn't leave you too quickly and you realize uh you know my goodness to see uh you know such such damage but what's amazing what's amazing to me in looking at it and remembering it was that that tree was not a great big thick tree that was just a tree a tree that you wouldn't think would stand out at all. But it was strong enough to withhold the power of a tractor-trailer uh, loaded with, uh, with your stuff and, and completely wrapped around that tree, just still standing there, immovable. Now you can imagine now that, you know, Jesus gives us this little analogy about the mustard seed, like I said last night, that you should not despise small things. And if you have little faith there today, I, I say that you should, you should be zealous in watering it, in fertilizing it, in feeding it. And taking the weeds away from it and let it grow and become what God wants it to become. Because God planted that seed in the last day. You're not planted in another age. You're planted in this day. God placed you here for a reason, for a purpose. And so you're, you're better off taking that little seed and just allowing it to fall into good ground. And let God, let God bring the growth that is necessary uh, for this day. Because you're going to have to have great, fo- great faith in our time. We're not going to have to have great churches. And we're not going to have to have great amounts of money. We're not going to have to have great amounts of, uh, you know, missionaries crossing the world. We're going to have to have great faith because it's by faith we're going to be changed and taken out of here. Amen. Now, having said that, let me say this to you as well. That in modern events in 1965, the, the, the last few weeks of Brother Bram's life on the earth, he said the man who's seen the vision or heard his voice never altogether understood it. He never altogether understood it. You know the prophets who uh, were lifted up and caught the mind of God and said things. They didn't fully understand what they were actually saying. I mean, how could they? There were some things that were bizarre. There were some things that were extraordinary that they repeated. In many cases, he didn't know because he's just an instrument of God. It's God's thoughts expressed through man's lips. A thought, of course, is a word expressed. They're really just instruments. There's no difference in this harp right here. You know, it's a beautiful instrument, but it does, does none of us any good until somebody takes that uh, harp and begins to play it. And, and you know, it, it, all of a sudden it comes alive. You have a new appreciation for that harp when, when Sister Becky sits there and begins to play it than you do right now. If you just tuned in and you see the harp, you say, wow, nice piece of furniture. Uh, and we appreciate Brother Barry lifting that uh, here today and, and getting, it, getting it to us. But, you know, that's nice, but there's nothing as nice as when Sister Becky will sit there and begin to play that and it just, it just transforms the, the whole, the whole place. Just like a, you know, a piano player or an instrument player, you know, it's a gift that God gives to us and it's a beautiful thing. But the instrument itself is of no value really or not really much benefit, uh, unless, unless it's used. And that's exactly what he's saying right here. That there are men of God that are placed on the earth who are Really, nothing more than instruments of God, but they begin to express things. And God does his own choosing by his predestinated choosing. He done it in every age. He set forth the man for each age. So we had a Paul, and we had a Luther, and we had a Wesley, and so forth. Like when Moses, he when he was to fulfill what he told to Abraham. So God told certain things to Abraham. Then God raises up a Moses and Moses comes along and, uh, you know, he's an instrument of God to fulfill what he said to Abraham back here. Everybody following? That's kind of that's basic. Now, I've said this to you before and I illustrated it this way. It's amazing to think when you have a man like, say, for instance, in the Bible like Joseph. And, and Joseph's standing there at the throne every day and he's giving out, he's giving out food and he's got he's got. Great things done already. He's got all this grain stored up. He knew what to do in the seven years of plenty. And through the wisdom of God, he had the potential now to save everyone, really, everyone on the earth who was affected by this famine that was coming. But it was not really, in the great scheme of things, it was not really to save everybody. It was really to save the seed of Abraham from dying out because God had said from Abraham to David, there will be a lineage that will be in the earth. So God had his eye on, on that lineage primarily. Now everybody else gets the blessing as well, right? That's what happens when God's people are in control. But the, the, the thing that God primarily had his eye on were the, were the brothers of Joseph who would have died had they not had Joseph in the place that Joseph was in. So we have one man on the earth, follow me now, we have one man on the earth, Who's, who's going like this and saying, follow me, boys. I know where we're going with this. And, and coming right along with him, he's got an idea, he's got a sense of what's going on in the earth. He knew what was supposed to happen in the seven years of plenty. He now knows what's happening in the seven years of famine. He's got a, in a sense, he's a leader of the parade. He's the man in front saying, follow me, boys. And, and, and watch what happens. Watch what God does. He's got a sense of what's going on. But there are other people in history who didn't really enjoy that perspective. Like Esther. Esther's thrown into this series of events that changes her life drastically. She's taken into the palace as a potential wife for the king. I mean, really? She's all of a sudden thrust into this place where she's being groomed and taught and and prepared for this whole thing about being the wife of the king. Wow. I mean, that's that's pretty amazing in itself. She didn't ask for that. She's just thrust into that. And then all of a sudden she finds out one day that there's been a decision made and a law passed that would destroy her and her people if nothing changes. And then she realizes, whoa, I'm right in the middle of that. And then her uncle comes and says, you know what, honey? Like he was probably a southerner. He probably said to her, you know what? This is probably why you're here in the first place. And for such a time as this, maybe this is why you're in the kingdom at all. And it dawns on her. It's not like she's going into this The day that she entered the palace to possibly become the wife of the king, she's not thinking, oh, wow, the Jews are in trouble. Maybe I'm here for this. Follow me. Watch where I go. She doesn't have any idea. But she's still used of God to do a great thing, even though she doesn't know. Brother Branham, as I read to you back here, Brother Branham said these men of God had partial understanding of the big picture. At least they had an idea or a sense of what God was actually going to do. Here's Esther coming into the palace. She really doesn't know anything at all, right? Got to hand it to her because at that particular point, she's got to be really carefully led of God. And she realizes with, with a sense of urgency, my goodness, maybe that's true. Maybe that is why I'm here. Are we okay? Everybody okay? Can I give you another example? Here's another person who all of a sudden is minding her own business, being a young teenager, uh, just, just doing what young girls would do in a village like this, she's not, she's not getting up every day and say, Lord, maybe this is the day I'll be the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. She's not praying that. And all of a sudden, she's thrown into this this scenario where the angel says, you are going to be the mother of the Messiah. Wow. I mean, the beautiful thing, really, about this whole thing is her response. 37, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, behold, a handmaid of the Lord. I'm your instrument. And be it unto me according to thy word. Right response. Right response. She got it. She got it. Not, let me tell you, she didn't understand all of that. I'll guarantee you she didn't understand all of that, but she responded right. When you respond right to the word of the hour, God loves that. Even though he knows the limitations we all have about understanding the big picture. when you Let me tell you, you're at your best when you walk in obedience. You're at your best when you live in obedience to God's word. And you do not have to. You are not required to. And neither does God promise you to know the whole story. He sometimes will reveal to you only the thing that's happening right at the moment. Like he did Mary. Mary reacts right and says, Call me now a handmaiden. A handmaiden is one who says, I need this, go do it. I need this, go do it. The boss or the master says, I need this, go do it. And the handmaiden just goes and fulfills that. And here she is now saying, Be it unto me according to thy word. Wow. Now, what's what's really interesting about this? Because uh, (laughs) uh, I I, I thought, I guess I'm a little... uh, Preoccupied with it, I've thought about this whole thing a lot. Watch what Brother Branham says. Now, I want you to watch something closely. This is what, what he says. When the angel came to Elizabeth to have a child by Zacharias, he had plenty of examples before that, as Zacharias did. He was a man of the scripture. And so he could have thought of Sarah. Uh, he, he said before that Hannah had a child past bearing, Sarah, 100 years old. He said plenty of examples, but that calloused priest. Failed to believe God. Now, don't be hard on Zacharias because, you know what? He came around. Give him a break, folks. Because everything that God has told you, you didn't believe right away at the first get-go, did you? I mean, some of us stood back and said, whoa, whoa. Me and Elizabeth? I mean, he's speaking naturally, very naturally here. Whoa. Hey, I don't want to say this out loud, but my wife's old. (laughs) You never say that out loud. Guys? You never say that out loud. But he's thinking, oh, my wife's old. You know what? And some people say, I'm old. Wow. And, and he came around. And he came around. And many of us come around. By God's grace, many of us come around. But Mary never, Mary never, never blinked. She never questioned. She said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord be it done unto me according to thy word. She didn't wait till she was positive. Now, in the language, the vernacular of 1950, Brother Branham never said any words about pregnancy and showing and all of that kind of stuff uh, back in his day. All right. And he apologizes for even those words back then in several other sermons. What he's saying is that she didn't wait until she couldn't hide it anymore before she said something. She did not wait until uh, she went to the doctor and got a test. She did not wait until. Uh you know, I mean, hey, listen, <laughs> you young girls think you can blow it past the old sisters in this church it aint it ain 't Because some of these sisters will look at these young girls who are to be mothers, and they 'll say, "Yeah, you know I, some of you young girls got this look on your face saying i 'll do it. good luck." <laughs> She didn't. Mary didn't wait. The, the The point is here that Mary didn't wait. She didn't wait till she felt something. She didn't wait till she felt life. She didn't wait at all. She just she just started praising God right then, and she she knew it was tr- somehow or another. I don't know how, but she knew it was true. She knew it was right. She knew it was true, and she began to praise God for it because she had the promise. To her, the promise was as good as the baby. To her, the promise was as good as, you know, eight and a half months. To her, it was evident in her heart, in her mind. It was evident. It was real. It was something that uh, she could count on. It was going to happen. She had the promise. What did she have? She had the revelation of the promise of, of this angel who had told her this scripture now is fulfilled, and it's going to be fulfilled through you. Wow. That's really interesting. But it's more interesting when we look back at where it came from. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 40. And here's where you need to open your Bible and go back to Isaiah 40. Now, let me give you a little preamble while you're turning in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, look at your neighbor. That'll do. As long as you're not going (laughs) like that, okay? Let me give you the the little background here. Listen, Listen to what I'm saying while you're turning. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah are all about God's judgment, God's description of how Israel went wrong. It is, in a sense, uh, you know, on the negative side, we'll say it that way. It's a fascinating 39 chapters, don't get me wrong. But it talks about captivity. It talks about Babylon. It talks about the mistakes that God's people made. Many, many passages of Isaiah are quoted uh, in, by Jesus and by other Uh, folks in the new testament it's a really important section of scripture chapter 40 though everything changes if you have a schofield bible if you have a, a bible like mine it's got the double lines it's got this thing going across here part two it says and it says looking beyond the captivity chapter 40 everything changes They're in Babylon, the problems as to why they're in Babylon are all clearly described. And then in chapter 40, Isaiah wakes up and he's got a new email in his box. He's got new information now. And it's almost like we're brought into a, a meeting with God and his angels. That's almost what it's like. And we're hearing, we're hearing this passage now that God breaks out and it begins to start like this. He says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. This is the same God that just had poured out all the reasons for judgment on the, on the previous 39 chapters. And now he says, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished. And that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all of her sins, and the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. This is speaking of John the Baptist, isn't it? Now we're going to get a prophet here, and he says, "Prepare ye the way of the Lord; and make straight uh, in the desert a highway for our God." Wow, I, I mean, this is this is a, like it's an exceptional difference to the rest of the Book of Isaiah. And he comes out and and he begins to promise. And, and he says, in a sense, he begins to describe down through the, the chapter there, and we'll read a little bit more, it's almost like a second exodus. It's almost like another exodus, that you're you're in captivity, but you know what? God has pardoned you. God has, God has taken, uh, you know, the blame now. He's lifted the guilt off you, and he's pushed that aside. And now something great's going to happen. Now watch what he says. If you don't mind you have your bible there every valley verse 4 shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked uh, shall be and the crooked shall be made straight and rough places plain back in that day especially in the transit of a king especially in the movements of royalty there was many many servants who went ahead of the king and took logs and branches off the road they cleaned the they pushed a dead deer to the side. They filled up the potholes. And they cleared away avalanches or whatever else was there. They made the road straight so the king did not have to go bouncing down the road. It was not a rough. Not meant to be a rough trip. This was meant to be a, a straight path. And that's what the scripture talks about. That when he comes, this is the way that God's going to come. He's going to come on a, on a place that's not rough. He's going to come smoothly. He's going to come sweeping in. And this is the idea that Isaiah is conveying. Verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed in all flesh. Whenever you see that phrase in the scripture, it means Jew and Gentile. All flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. All people. So everybody's going to benefit from this event. What's the event tied to? But the first coming of Christ. How do we know? Because in verse uh, 3, it says the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. How many, would you, how many of you would agree that's John the Baptist? Right? And so when he comes, all people will be blessed. And 6, the voice said, cry. And he said, "What shall I cry? All flesh is as grass. All the goodness thereof, thereof is the flowers of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Say it with me. The word of our God shall stand forever. Now all the rest of you people, let everybody else say it. Let's all say it together. The word of our God shall stand forever. And he said, what, what will I say? What will I cry? Say this. The word of our God shall stand forever. You know what? God's going to fulfill his word. None of it's going to be, none of it's going to be stopped. None of it is going to be prevented. None of it is going to be uh, you know lacking at all. It's going to come to pass exactly as God has said. And he said, that's what I want you to hear the people to say, because God has made great promises to his people. And he promised back in the Garden of Eden there a Messiah, a Savior to come. And now this is the whole event now beginning to unfold. And it's going to happen with a prophet coming with the spirit of Elijah. And we know because we have hindsight and we're looking at this prophet coming now. And he's going to be a herald saying, make way for the king. And the king is going to come. Now, there was an application of this passage here for their time because they were going to come back out of captivity in Babylon and they were going to come back to Jerusalem, right? And so this highway that, that he refers to here in verse 9, O Zion, bring good t- thou bringest good tidings. Get thee up into the high mountain of Jerusalem, and bring us good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd, and he shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. The illusion here, the 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 scene is that uh this this God that we serve is a uh a shepherd, one who cares for his flock. And everything that's going to uh everything that's that's promised is going to come to pass. And so when he says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, he is saying that you don't listen, you don't need to worry about your sin separating you from God. When I fulfill this. You're gonna be actually reconciled back to God and have harmony with Him again. That's what that phrase actually means. It doesn't mean that you're gonna, we're gonna have more comfortable chairs in the church. It rather means that, you know what, if I die, this one that's coming is gonna take care of my sinfulness and my sinful nature and He's gonna reunite me back. He's gonna harmonize me back again with God. And in that, every one of us can take comfort today. I hope He can. You ought to be smiling. You ought to be raising your hand. You ought to be, you ought to be doing something uh, because uh, this is the message that they got. This is the message that we preach. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't stand here and say your life will be comfortable in a physical material sense. You'll always have enough money. You'll always have nice furniture. I can't say that. But I can say this, that if you're a believer and a child of God and you're born again and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, you don't have a worry in the world when you die and cross over on the other side. I believe Sister Karen Propolis is over on the other side. I believe Sister Karen Pruitt is over on the other side. I believe all those saints of Jim Babb, all those ones that we know have died over the last year, I believe that they're over on the other side and their their struggle is past. Their, their turmoil is over. Their sickness is ended. I believe that they have achieved a victory like we have not known anything about to be able to step into that body and to be over there on the other side and rejoicing with the saints of God, shaking hands with the prophets and the messengers and all of those people rejoicing United over there waiting for us and saying what is the problem why aren't you rejoicing and thanking God for everything you have every day of your life you're not losers, you're winners you're not on the losing team, you're on the winning team and this is what the message is comfort ye, comfort ye, my people (laughs) think about this, summarize it for a minute here, you have God's people trapped in a kingdom they're not supposed to be there. They've got to get from there back to the homeland. You've got a king that wants to keep them, powers that try to hold them and strangle them. You've got a God who delivers them, takes them out, sets them on the right road, prepares the highway. And not only that, has a place prepared for when they return. And they come back through the gates with rejoicing. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like the first exodus, right? You had a, you had a, a, a king who wanted to keep Israel because of their, uh, their strong backs, right? He, he, listen, folks, Pharaoh looked at Israel like slaves. Strong king that looked at God's people like slaves, as, as commodities, as property, and tried to hold them there against God's will, against the fulfillment of prophecy. But God said, no longer. I'm going to open up the way. I'm going to do this. Don't you worry. None of you had to part the Red Sea. I'll take care of that and open up the Red Sea and transported all the people from... From Egypt down into Israel and had a land already prepared for them. Same thing he promised the father Abraham. And why did God do that? Because he loved his people and God was fulfilling his word. I mean, this is exactly what happens here. So uh, Isaiah comes out, he says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Now, I, I got I to gotta play with the word comfort for a moment here. Because it's, it's really an interesting word. And if you don't think that this idea of comfort comes into the New Testament, you need to read this verse. Blessed be the God. This is Paul. Blessed be. The, this is the second round with Corinthians. Okay, the first round, he kind of sets some things in order. But the second round now, watch what he says. First chapter. Blessed be the God, even our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all. Say it with me. Comfort. Who... You be the comfort people, all right? You say the word comfort. Who, us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to, them which are in any trouble, by the, wherewith we ourselves are, for as the sufferings of Christ abound, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. And whether we be, it is for your consolation and salvation. Comfort plays a big part in how how you stand with God and how we stand with one another. Because the comfort that God has extended to you, you know what? You're supposed to extend that comfort to other people as well. You have a message of comfort to give to other people. I cannot take your sins on my back, but I can tell you there is one who does. I cannot die for you and bleed for you as a Savior, but I know someone who can. And so therefore, Paul is saying that, hey, when we go through things and we go through things because we're misunderstood and we are criticized and, uh, you know, whether we be afflicted, he says in verse 6 there, <clears throat> we go through things. He said we, we, we endure those things because we have a message that's worth uh, propagating even if we are afflicted. We have something worth saying even if we are troubled. And if the government shuts us down or a virus slows us down or, uh, you know, other churches might uh, try to criticize us or whatever. Like, hey, you know what? The message is still worth enduring that affliction for. I you know, I don't know about you. I, I mean, I, we, we say it this way kind of glibly. But to me, the message is worth dying for. Uh, it's easy to say. It's a different thing to go through that, though. But I think the message is worth dying for. Now, watch this. We, we find this all through the New Testament here. Beseech you, brethren, Paul says in Thessalonians. Now, stop. The Thessalonian people, the people from Thessalonica, were under great persecution. They, had, they knew great trouble. They knew what it was like for the authorities to press them and to make their life miserable. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Why does he say that? He says that because when people are under pressure, and people feel like they're going through a hard time, they'll kind of reach out at anything to see if they can relieve the suffering. They'll grab at anything. I mean, there are some people who, uh, you know, that's why, <clears throat> that's why some people play the lottery is because, you know what, I'm in this situation, I'll never get any better, so I'm going to de- do this desperate, stupid thing and reach out and, and play the lottery. <clears throat> you know what Dave Ramsey calls it, right? Stupid tax. So Paul is admonishing them to hold a course. He says, let's let's make sure we know them that labor among you. You don't want to have the wrong kind of ministry come in here and say things that are wrong. Oh, you said it wouldn't happen with God's people. You remember when the children of Israel and Jeremiah were going down into captivity? Remember that? And Jeremiah said to them, you're going to be down there 70 years. Immediately there came another guy who said, no, you're only going to be down there three. Well, if you're under pressure of captivity, who are you going to go with? Right? That's the idea. So Paul says, know them which labor among you. Keep, stay true to the word. Stay true to God's program and admonish you. He says, and esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. And be at peace among yourselves. Can I say something? All right, I guess you don't want me to say it. I'll I'll go on. Let me run at that again. Can I say something? Sometimes, sometimes, not all times, but sometimes, it's not actually the devil driving people apart it's not enough of a desire to be together. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. Where'd you get that? I got that where I get everything else. Sometimes it's not, you know what? Uh, The devil might, he might tip the ball so it begins to roll down the hill a little bit, get things going. But if there's not enough of a desire to get together, and it's not anymore the devil trying to force apart some people just don't have enough passion to want to be together with the rest of the body or the you know to be a part of of what god's doing and they got you know they got reasons everybody's got reasons like elbows everybody's got a couple and, and people have reasons why very convinced of their own reasons but you know what that is in a sense a trap that satan will lay that he'll try to he'll take away people's passion to be together when I think we should be, I mean, I always look at it this way: we're going to be together throughout eternity. So you know what? I got to deal with it here. I got to reconcile with it here. If I have a difference over here, brother Aaron here, you know, some some difference here, and you know, I, you know, really, really, we ought to deal with that now. We ought to deal with that quickly. And because I have a desire to be walking with him, I have a desire to be going with him through the gates, because I'm going to be with him throughout eternity that's the reality if you believe your bride and all the rest of the people are bride you cannot exist over here as a member of the bride without having a connection with all these people that are going in together because as far as i understand it we all as bride are going to be sitting together in the marriage supper of the lamb can i go on he says now we exhort you brethren warn them that are unruly they're the hardest people to warn you ever met an unruly person try to warn them And he's, you know, the person is like, and then you go up and say, brother, I'd like to say, that's really hard. The second thing he says is to comfort the feeble-minded. You know what? I'd like to say this, that I think this verse may become a little more important to us as we go on because I think as far as I can read things out there, There are a lot of changes that are on the books for our, not only our country, but for our world. And the things that we hope would go away aren't going away. Like, you know, despite all of the rhetoric about stimulus, we still have a great big financial problem in our our country because someone has to pay back all those words that begin with T. And, uh, you, you, look, there's going to come a time, I will tell you this categorically, there's going to come a time when a lot of believers will say, why are we suffering? Why are we going through hard times? Isn't God with us? Isn't God supposed to supply everything and take care of everything? There's going to come a time when people are going to say that. Because I don't find anywhere where God says, I'll take away all your troubles. I'll take away all your pressures. I'll take away everything. I rather hear a prophet saying, you're going to go through the squeeze. And a squeeze represents pressure. And if I read the Bible correctly, for example, we find the children of Israel back in the days of Moses who were going along fine doing their work until the taskmaster showed up. Man, they made life miserable. Were they any less God's people under the taskmasters? No. I'm just saying that this verse, comfort the faint of heart, you're probably going to need to be aware of that, and you're going to be called upon to comfort your children, your wife. You're going to be called upon to comfort one another and to let people know, hey, listen, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Even if God takes away your house, your retirement, if, if the mark of the beast comes to such an extent that we cannot even buy or sell, or whatever form that it comes, and I don't believe we'll be in that particular spot, but uh, no matter how close we come to it, we're probably going to have to comfort one another. Think about it now. We're probably going to have to sit down with some people and say, hey, you know, God's people always didn't have it easy. And you know what? That doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that you're not a child of God. It doesn't mean that you've missed it. It doesn't mean that you're not going to make it. It doesn't mean that at all. And Paul is saying that you, as believers, he said, you have to warn them that are unruly, and then you're also going to have to comfort the feeble-minded, and you're going to have to support the weak instead of criticizing the weak and saying you got there because you're not in the will of God. And you need to be also patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. If you think that the concept of comfort is simply an Old Testament phrase back there, you're wrong. There's all kinds of admonitions in the New Testament and in the message for us to think about this word comfort because God, God has comforted us and now we in turn should comfort one another. And there's lots and lots to do with that. But I want to say this to you now this morning, because I I think this is important here, that, uh, (laughs) Brother Branham, in talking about this, be it unto me according to thy word, uh, he, he says, uh, this is the way he, this is the way he rephrases it. Watch now, everybody, everybody, watch. Abraham couldn't see, and he said, how can it be? Mary didn't understand how she could, how could she have a baby not knowing no man? He said, but the Holy Ghost will overshadow you. He will bring it to pass. And she said, Behold, a handmaid of the Lord be done to me according to thy word. How is it going to be done? She didn't know. But she cast her anchor beyond the veil. She cast her anchor beyond the veil. Jeremy's too good. He's got all of his cords and cables put away. She cast his anchor. She cast her anchor beyond the veil and went forth testifying she was going to have a baby. Before she felt life or anything, she called those things that were not as though they were. Sounds like the faith of Abraham, doesn't it? Wow. Anchors. I, oddly enough, Peter and I visited an anchor museum in Latvia, uh, in Latvia, the country of Latvia. They had an anchor museum. I bet you none of you have ever been to an anchor museum. Something I learned in the anchor museum, and that is this. Anchors will do two things. It'll keep the ship steady, okay? When they drop anchor, they'll keep the ship steady. And, and if you're, especially if you're in a storm and that storm is capable of washing that boat up onto the rocks or the shore, they're going to drop anchor and have that boat held there so uh, it, it, the anchor is going to hold. We thank God for that kind of an anchor, right? We thank God for that kind of thing. Think spiritual now. But there's another use for the anchor, and that is this. The anchor sometimes the captain, if he needs to get off a shoal, he's stuck. If he needs to get past something and he's he's jammed up on a shallow place and he's you know he's he's uh, foundered on that thing. You know what he'll do? He'll drop that anchor somewhere. He'll find a, a rock and he'll drop that anchor, and he'll let that run out if he can't get past that that point, and he'll let that anchor hook into something, and he'll say. All right, retrieve the anchor. And it'll pull that ship right out of that shallow water or right off that spot. It'll pull it right over the sandbar as it's just retracting using the cable and, and using that anchor to pull him right into deep water where he belongs. He doesn't belong in shallow water. He belongs in deep water. You follow me? This isn't hard. So what Mary did was She just said, I don't know. I really don't know how it's going to come to pass. Because you know what? No matter what anybody else said, and no matter what social media reported, Mary knew she had not been with a man. Right? I mean, nobody, nobody, no matter what they said, no matter what people said from there until Mary died, Mary knew the truth. Mary knew that she had been with no man. Because you can't go through that experience and not know. And so Mary knew, absolutely Mary knew. So she's dealing with this herself. You know what she does? She wraps her anchor around the promise. And she's back here. She said, I don't know how I'm going to get from here to there, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap my anchor around that promise, and I'm just going to let it slowly reel itself in and hold on and let that, let that anchor drag me right into the fulfillment of the promise of God's word. Oh, come on. You know what? You know what? (laughs) Whether you realize it or not, we are all Mary in a sense that, you know, Christ is being born, formed in us, right? Would you agree with that? And, And you know what? You know what else? This body, this world is not even my home. I'm just a passing through. I belong somewhere else. And the very best thing you can do is take your anchor and wrap it around the promises of God for our time and say, I don't know how we're going to get from this world to that world. I really don't know how we're going to get there, but you know what? I'm just going to hit the lift anchor button here and let that anchor line pull me right into glory and right into that dimension over there. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I got my anchor wrapped around the promise that there shall not be one of them taken out of my hand and let God retract that line. And bring you right into the presence of God. Brother Branham said, We need more Marys in our time. He said, We need more Marys. And I say this we need more Marys at HBT. We need people, we need young people that are steadfast instead of, you know, trying to figure out, well, I need a girlfriend or I need a boyfriend or I need this or I need something else. And, and they're trying to wrap their anchor lines around all kinds of things that are unprofitable. You need, to, you need to have this focus in your life. You really do. You need to quit fooling around and thinking about sports and girls and games and everything else. And you need to make sure that this is done first. Hey, listen, if you're single... Uh, Guys matter. If you're a single guy, girls matter. I understand that. I get it. You know, and the retreat and all the rest of it. I get it. And all that is secondary because the Bible says that we are to seek first a wife. No, it doesn't. Don't get that wrong, buddy. We seek first the kingdom of God, right? So the first thing my anchor is going to be wrapped around is a promise of the change of my body and it's going to be wrapped around... The wedding supper of the Lamb. How am I going to get there? I have no idea, Hunter. I have no idea how I'm going to get there. But I know there's a process. And I'm just going to say, all right, Lord, start pulling me in. And He will pull you right into that dimension and right into your place in glory where you belong. I mean, that's what she did. Why can't we do that? This is not complicated, folks. This is good. She didn't know. You tell me, you say, Brother Barry, how you know how's it? I don't know. I don't know how it's all going to end. I don't know who's going to be around. I don't know what the government's going to be like. I don't know whether uh, you know. You're, you're, I don't know whether the economy will be in attack or not. I don't know. There's a whole lot of things we don't know. What's the, what's the squeeze going to be like? We don't know. We don't know a whole lot. Brother Branham did not give us a play-by-play of what the, what the squeeze is going to be like. He didn't give us a play-by-play of what the tribulation is going to be like, except he said, "Don't go there." And he said it will be not like anything else the world has ever seen, right? According to Daniel. And so there's a lot of things about this world we don't know. What will it feel like when my body changed? I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of things about this world and the way it's going to be and how it's all going to wind. There's a lot of things I don't know. And you know what? I don't care. I'm telling you that really our primary focus should be wrapping our anchor line around the promise of God. Make sure it's wrapped around the right one. And just let the Holy Spirit pull you, draw you right in his presence. Amen. Just just focus on that first. All other things will be added unto you. Now I got to add one more little piece, all right? And then we'll then we'll go eat leftovers. <clears throat> The scripture says, in Luke chapter 2, which we read here, the angel said, Fear not, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now watch what he says. For unto you this day in the city of David, a Savior. Sister Rachel's here, and she guessed the number of M&Ms in that jar. I want you to know I was off by about 3,000. And I I don't want to admit that. But it's pretty good to to make that guess. I I thought about that afterwards, and I thought, number one, she didn't give me any of the M&Ms. And number two, that's a pretty good guess. That's pretty good. I don't know whether you know it or not, but in the Old Testament, the word Savior is mentioned how many times? Does anybody know? Thirteen. Whoa. Morgan, 13. You would, think, you would think the concept of a Savior in the Old Testament would be something repeated constantly, 13 times. I counted them, 13. blew my mind. And here's the angel telling the shepherds, Unto you this day in the city of David is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This is him. This is the Savior. Now, Savior is mentioned way more in the New Testament. The concept of a Savior is mentioned uh, in the New Testament many, many times before. I thought, wow, 13 times. What is the problem? Or why why was that such an unusual thing then for him to say there is going to be a Savior? Now, for a moment, I'm not going to be long here, but The word save is the word sozo in the Greek. S-O-Z-O. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, Jesus said, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. But the Son of Man has come to save. That's what Jesus was. He came to save. He came as a Savior. And, And to save means that to rescue from danger. Remember when Peter got out of the boat, was walking on the water, and then he began to sink. And he said, Lord, save me means to rescue from danger. But if you read down through the middle of that definition, it says same in the technical biblical sense. So in other words, it means to deliver from the penalties of the, the judgment of the Messiah. So when, when we understand the word saved, if I ask you, are you saved? That means that you would be saved from the judgment of God. It, that the penalty has been paid. You're saved from the evils which obstruct the reception of messianic deliverance. So, if you're saved, Joe, are you saved? So, I don't have any worry about Joe stopping at the presence of God on his way in the glory. If Joe's truly saved, and I believe that he is, then when when he passes from this life, either through death or get hit in the head with a tennis ball or something like that, or uh, if he if he goes in, a, in the rapture, one or the other. You know what? He's going to just have this constant fluid motion into the presence of God raising his hands and thanking God and singing amazing grace with the rest of us. And if he gets hit with the tennis ball he'll be doing it in advance. It means he's saved from, in other words someone's going to stop and say hey, hey where do you think you're going? Well, I was in HBT. So what? So what? Who do you think you are? All I see in front of me here is a big fat sinner. Oh, you don't understand. Brother Barry said that I was saved. As I just said that about Joe. You know what? That don't matter. That's between him and God, right? You're getting the point. That's what saved is. But they didn't mention it in the Old Testament. They didn't talk about it in the Old Testament. Do you know why? Because their concept of a Messiah meant this essentially it meant this when Jesus died comes back to the disciples and being assembled together with them commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the father which saith he ye have heard of me for John truly baptized with water but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence when they therefore were come together they asked of him saying Lord wilt thou at this time restore again are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel Because the concept of salvation or the work the Messiah was supposed to do was to restore Israel back to where it was when it got off the mark. Go back, the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve sinned, driven from the presence of God. An angel kept the way. If God's going to right the wrong, he's going to bring us right back into the presence of God, restore things, then we go on in this paradise of God. I didn't realize it, but the Jews grow up with that idea. They grow up with that concept that God is going to restore everything. That's why when Jesus is just about to leave in this wave of shadows and resurrected bodies, and now he's standing there among them, they're saying, but the leading question is, I mean, now, if if you were with Jesus for three and a half years, and he died, you didn't understand that. Then he arose, you didn't understand that. And now he's with you, you don't understand that. But now he's making sounds like he's going to leave, and you don't understand that. And you had a chance to ask only one question to him. What would it be? When will I get married? What would it be if you had a chance to ask only one question to Jesus in this scenario? And they ask him, will you restore now? Because... When when he restores, everything's going to be great. We're all going to be okay when God restores. The Jewish concept of the Messiah coming was he was going to be like David and Solomon who restored the kingdom back to greatness again. He he was going to be like this this great, mighty warrior who's going to subdue all the armies and and countries around him and bring the, the nation back to a position of prominence and glory again. That was their idea of salvation. They were not thinking of this going forward in the heaven. They didn't think of that. So when Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and he says, listen, John 3, if you don't mind, i got a couple of questions. I didn't want to ask him in public. So I wanted to come at night if you don't mind. Jesus said, hey, you know what, pal? We need to talk about the new birth. I'm not talking to you. You're Nicodemus. We need to talk about the new birth because you don't really understand how the spirit listeth that goes from, you know, this way and that way. And God's doing things that you don't really understand. But if you're not born again, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. Heaven. And Nicodemus is scratching his head and he's thinking, what's he talking about going that way? We're going back that way to restore. <sighs> wow. Blew my mind. It, it, it In a sense, here is... Here's these angels. They're telling the shepherds, "Unto you this day, in the city of David, a Savior is born." Really? Now the, the shepherds accepted that. They believed that, and they they proclaimed it. They were happy. They were excited because we may not understand it, but be it unto me according to Thy word. I mean, they were they were. Hey, this is supernatural. This is amazing. This, even if we don't understand, this is amazing. But it went against what they always had heard. Because the, the Messiah is a restorer. He's going to restore back. If you don't think the word restore means to go back, here's the definition. In the Old Testament, the word restore means to return back, turn back, go back, return back, go back, come back, turn back from God, turn away from God, to God, turn back to God, repent, turn back from evil, Bring back, restore, refresh, repair, restored, cause to return. Everybody getting the idea? Bring back, to bring back, allow to return, put back, draw back, give back, restore, relinquish. Everybody getting the idea? To bring back, refresh, restore, bring back, report, to answer, to turn back, backward, repel, defeat, repulse, hinder, reject, refuse, to turn away. Wilt thou restore... The kingdom. They're not saying, are we going forward? They're saying, are we going back to what we had? Because that's what that word restore means. Are we going back to that? Wow. I mean, this is, in a sense, this is just amazing. That all of a sudden, here's God fulfilling his word. But they had reinterpreted. They'd restated it, they'd rethought it, they'd redefined it, they'd done all kinds of things. And now when it actually happens, they're looking in the wrong direction. That's what happens when you lead people to try to figure out what only God knows. That's why I said in the very beginning of this sermon, I think it's a powerful thing that God would allow you into his sphere to know what he knows. And Jesus comes along and says, the Son of Man, was he was sent to save, sozo. He was sent to rescue the perishing. He was sent to heal the sick. He was sent to bind up the brokenhearted. He was here to set the captives free. He was here to do all of that. That's what the Messiah was here to do. And they're looking at it and saying, that's not what our understanding tells us. Our understanding says to turn back, go back, bring back, refresh, do everything back here, and get back to where we got off the mark. And you know what? I want to say this to you. The Messiah was to do that, to restore. But he was also to take the people onto glory. Brother Branham says it this way. He set his face towards Jerusalem. He was crucified, died, rose the third day, and he was on earth 40 days among men, ascended up into heaven, and told them to wait till they seen the kingdom of God come upon them. At At this time, The Father will restore the kingdom in a spiritual form to them. Wow. So so here he is now restoring the kingdom to to people. He's bringing people back to the position as sons and daughters of God, right? Come on, folks. The world is not restored, right? We're not back in an Eden condition yet. But you internally, the born again, you can be restored back to a real son or daughter of God that has communion and fellowship with God. Isn't that right? Someone who's born again, now all of a sudden we've been we've been turned back to what we really are. We've been brought back to the original. We've been brought back to who we were on the Lamb's Book of Life. We're just not restored back to the Garden of Eden now. But God has restored what he recorded on the Lamb's Book of Life all the way back here. We've been redeemed by love divine. Oh, glory, glory, Christ is mine. But you know what? At the same time, we're looking heavenward. We're thanking God for what he did back there, but we're looking ahead to heaven because one day our body's going to be changed and we're going to sit in glory and we're going to that kingdom. We're going to heaven. How many believe we're going to heaven? God never designed you to stay here. God never designed you to uh, live here forever. We're on our way somewhere, but we're thanking God for what he did, because that's the original back there on the Lamb's Book of Life. He took your picture and recorded that, and laid it in there, and described you back then in the Lamb's Book of Life. And you know what? By God's grace on the inside, this is not an older man who's standing here preaching the gospel today, 63, 64 years old. It's not that anymore, but I believe when God looks at me, he looks at that person that he has restored by the blood of Calvary's cross back into a position of sonship again with God. And even if this body goes down, even if this body goes down, there's a part of me that's going heavenward. I'm not going to go back to 1957 when I was born. I'm not going to go back uh, to 1960 or 1977 when I was a teenager back there. I'm not going to go back to that. I believe when I die, I'm going to go that way into glory, into heaven, into a body that God has prepared for me. Jesus, the Messiah, is all about setting people free. It's all about setting people free, to be able to go on to what God has intended for them based on the original. And the original is what God determined in the Lamb's work of life before the foundation of the world. And now God has allowed us to be free. And Nicodemus is trying to scratch his head and say, yeah, but how do we get back? So the disciples, in the last frantic question they ask Jesus before he leaves is, are you going to restore the kingdom back? Are we going to go back to something great? Are we going to go backwards in, our, in, in the way you're going to deal? No. No, Jesus says no. You just go to Jerusalem and wait until you're in due with power from on high, right? He says, God, all the answers will be answered up there. All, all the questions will be solved up there. You just get the Holy Ghost and then you'll be you're able to tap into the mind of God. Folks, here's Brother Ram coming along, turning corners, all over the place, in the last of his ministry. I'm almost done. Matter of fact, we have our musicians come. That'll, that'll convince you that I'm almost done. It'll assure you that I'm almost done. But hang, hang on to what I'm going to tell you here in just a moment, in this last moment here. Here's Brother Brown coming to the end of his ministry, turning corners because he's following the pillar of fire in the Word, and he's looking at things, and he said, Hey, now is the bride calling. What does the bride calling actually mean? I believe the bride calling is defined as this. The Lord Himself descends with a shout and a voice and the trump of God. And so God has descended to be able to uh, give us the message of the hour and what we need in order to bring on a resurrection and then to be changed in a moment, right? The sound of a trumpet? Everybody all right? You believe the message? So I'll tell you what you should do. You should do exactly what Mary did and say, wow. I don't know. I don't know how all well this is going to come to pass. You wrap your chain, you wrap your anchor around First Thessalonians chapter four, and, and tie it to that. Tie it to uh Second Corinthians chapter five. Tie it to First Corinthians chapter fifteen. You tie it to Psalms twenty-seven. You tie it to any of those promises that relate to the last day. And back here in your position of being in this life, you just say, Lord, bring it on and draw me close to you. And bring me to that place that I I am predestinated to be. Are we okay? Because that's what that's what to me, that's what the what Jesus did. Jesus came to set people free. Jesus came to set people in a position where they could now be free without sin and without the burden of sin. They were saved from their sins and they could now become the sons and daughters of God in a very fallen world and a dirty world. And they could do that and they could believe just like Mary. Hey, just call me the handmaiden of the Lord, I'll do whatever. But Be it unto me according to thy word. But let me make sure I'm hanging on to the word. And draw me now close into your presence. And fulfill the promise concerning me. That ought to be your desire. This ought to be your your modus operandi uh, for the rest of our days on the earth. This is the way we should think. This is the way we should operate. I'm wrapping my anchor around the promise. I'm not wrapping it around the government. I'm not wrapping it around my money. I'm not wrapping it around this church. I'm not wrapping it around Brother Barry. I'm wrapping it around the promise of God. And I'm just saying, Lord, retract the anchor. Bring that anchor back. And when you do, whoever's holding on to that anchor is going to be drawn right into the presence of God. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stop there. Whew. Wow. I don't know if we can play. Uh, do you want to know where I'm going on the harp? But let's give it a try. Let's give it a try. Watch this. Do you want to know where I'm going? You want to know where we're heading? Hey, we're not heading back to Pentecost. We're not heading back to some former age we came out of. We're not heading back to, uh, you know, we're not heading back waiting for Brother Brandon to come back on the scene and have another tent revival or travel around in a plane. We're not waiting for that. You know what? We're, We're heaven bound. We're on our way to glory. That's what I believe that we're heading to. And so when Jesus came, he blew a lot of those people, their theology out of the water because they were all thinking, this is the way it's going to be. He's going to restore us back. And Jesus says, no, hey, I'm here to restore, but I'm here to deliver. I'm here to deliver you into another body, into another kingdom, into another place. Glory to God. Do you want to know where I'm
4: going, where I'm going?
0: Order my steps in you.
5: is made possible because of one truth, and that is this. He
4: has forgiven me my sins
6: have been washed
4: from His memory by the blood
5: Jesus. Thank him this morning, saints. Yes. He has forgiven me. Wash my sins away. They're gone. They're gone
4: forever. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
5: if we have that. In the prayer. thing to do for a believer in an hour like this. You say, Mary, how's this going to happen? How's it going to come to pass? Don't know. Don't know. But just call me a handmaid. I'll just do whatever. Go wherever. I'll submit myself to him. Just give myself to him completely. I mean, He chose me. I, I didn't choose him. He chose me. So he's, he's got to have a way. He's got to have a plan. got to have a reason to choose me. So he did. I'll follow that. I'll embrace that. Best thing you can do is this. Give myself away.
4: Give myself away so you can use me. Give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. Here's my end.
0: Here I stand. My son
5: Lord that dwells among the people Lord it sounds to us it sounds so nice and so majestic Lord it sounds it's a pleasing sound to us but Lord how how greater how much greater it must be to you because you delight in the praises of your people and the people whose hearts are turned to you in a world where so many hearts are just wandering through the fog and looking every which way, looking for solutions, looking for answers. But, Lord, is a group of people that are looking to you, and I just thank you, Lord, for what your word can do among people. Have your way, Lord Jesus, I pray now today in every heart. Have your way in every family. And, Lord, in our family times that lay ahead in the next week or so, Lord may we take time to reflect upon how Lord that every one of us originated in Bethlehem. We all came to that place. And Lord you did something great for us. And now Lord we're pointed in the right direction. We're moving in the right direction, believing the right things. And Lord I pray that every one of us are developing the right faith. May we have a zeal to yield to you a zeal to be together and a zeal, Lord Jesus, to pursue the truth in every situation. May we be like Mary who simply said, be it unto me according to thy word. And Lord, we'll not spend our energy in trying to figure out how it all going to happen. Lord, we just want to be your handmaid, your hand servant, your your vessel that you can use. Forgive us, Lord, of our zeal sometimes of putting our agenda ahead of yours, but may we just simply wrap our anchor line around the promises of God. Feel the pull. Grant it, Lord, I pray, every heart. Continue, Lord, I pray, to do a work among us. We'll give you thanks and praise. Continue to be the healer among us, I pray. And we'll give you thanks and praise. Continue, Lord, to build our faith. And we'll give you thanks and praise. We think of Peter, Lord, today, not here. Brother Danny and Hans and Sister Caitlin. Sister Crystal, Lord, is working today. And so many others, Lord. And I just ask that you would be gracious to them, help them right where they are. We give ourselves away to you afresh in Jesus' name and for your glory. We pray. Amen. Be it unto me. Is that right, Keith? According to. Me,
4: According to your promises I can stand secure Carve upon my heart Truth that sets me free According to your word Sing it again now, one more time. Be it unto me according to your word, according to your promise. today. God bless you.